Welcome to Iro Live with host Bob Bay. We've been on this journey through the wilderness. And if you don't know about the story of when the children of Israel in the story of Exodus, they left Egypt, God brought them out of Egypt, which symbolizes bondage in the world. And the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments. And so he delivered the children from the bondage of Egypt and they came through the wilderness and they came up to what would be the promised land because God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. But because of fear and doubt, God said, go in and I'll take care of you. Just go in and I'll take care of you. I've got you. But they looked around at what they saw and they looked at their circumstances and they looked at themselves and they said, we are like grasshoppers to these people. Yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It looks wonderful, but we just ain't got what it takes to make it. That's paraphrasing, but that's what they said. It was just 11 days from Mount Sinai to the banks of the Jordan where that was. Just 11 days journey. But because of that, they had to go back out into the wilderness because God wanted them to go. He wanted these things for them. He wanted good things for them, to provide for them, to take care of them, to protect them. He wanted that. But then, just like it is now, God wants those things for us. But because of fear, we look at our past and the things we've done. We look at what might happen. Oh, I don't know about this following God thing. What if? What if? What if people say this? What if this happens? What if I can't be good enough? When I was young, that was what I thought. There's no way I could be one of those Christian people. I can't be that good. But I didn't understand that wasn't what it was about. And so they had to go back out into the wilderness. And we've talked about that and been talking about that, that 40 years in the wilderness that they wandered but even in that wandering, God still took care of them because he still loved them. He took care of them. He provided food for them. But it wasn't the rich, wonderful food that he had planned. It was manna, which was like a cracker. He took care of their clothes so they wouldn't wear out, but they still had their old clothes from in Egypt. They didn't wear out. He protected them, but they still wandered aimlessly through the wilderness, waiting, waiting, waiting. But so in our journey, where we came to last week was, we were at the edge of the Jordan River. We've come back, just like the children of Israel came back. And God had told Moses he wouldn't be able to go into the promised land, but Joshua would, would take over for him and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua said, I'll do it. We'll go, because he was one of the people in the beginning before they went back out. Joshua and Caleb both said, we can do this. We can follow. God's on our side. We can do this. But none of the rest of the people wanted it. But so here we are again. Here I am again. We're at the bank, we're at the bank of the Jordan. And so God says, go. And last week we talked about how God had told Joshua three times he said listen there's things you've got to do but be strong and of good courage 
because he had a plan and a purpose for Joshua to divide the inheritance of the land to the people. And I talked about how so often God has a plan and a purpose for us, but we get afraid. And in our fear, we become weak and we don't want to go forward. You know, some people are afraid of success and sabotage their lives because of what it would mean to be successful. I know it sounds crazy. I did it. One example of it. When I was trying to quit smoking, I would get mad. And I would say things to Pam to make her mad. Pam's my wife. I would say things to Pam to make her mad. And then she would yell at me. And I'd be like, I'm going to get some cigarettes. You know? I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like that. It was the same way when I did drugs, you know, when I drank, same kind of stuff. I would sabotage myself. But so God told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. And and that thing of being strong is, he told him that three times because he wanted him to understand that there were going to be times where he was going to be afraid. And there were going to be times where he felt weak and he felt like he couldn't do it. There were going to be times where he felt like he couldn't go on and he wouldn't make it. But God wanted him to know, listen, in those times, be strong and of good courage. For I am with you. That was the last thing God told to him. For I am with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make all this. It's all going to be okay. It's not going to look like you think it's going to look. It's not going to be like you want it to be. It's actually going to be even better. But when you decide that you want it to be your way, things are going to go wrong. And we see that play out. I want to talk about one thing this week. I wanted to get this in this week before we go into next week. Because after God had told Joshua to be strong and of good courage, the three times he gave him instructions on some things that were going to happen. Because he had to go across And he had to fight the battle of Jericho. And there's a lot of parts to that Jericho. The city of Jericho represents the devil's kingdom. When the children of Israel left Egypt back 40 years previously, God had commanded Moses to circumcise all the males at that time. And what that represented was We're all adults here, right? We know what circumcision is. It's cutting off the foreskin. But what that represented was we have things, there is a part of us that we hold on to. That thing that makes us do drugs, that things that makes us be selfish, that things that makes us put ourselves before other people, you know, all of that stuff. It's a condition of the heart. Later on, Paul talks about in the Bible... Paul talks about, we don't do circumcision anymore like they did back then. But our heart must be circumcised. That's a cutting off of the flesh. And what what that means is we have to come to a place where our heart is willing to surrender. And that seems like a complicated thing. What do you mean willing to surrender? Let me put it this way. I'll use this as an example. My quitting doing drugs. I had tried for months and months and months to quit doing meth. And I would have a little bit of success because I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just smoke weed and drink. I won't do meth anymore. I'll just smoke weed and drink and it'll be okay. But the problem was 
after I drank about four or five beers, my ability to say no to meth left me. And so I would get drunk and I'd say, hey, let's go get some meth or Coke or whatever it may have been. So I would try and switch off. I tried in my own willpower to stop that behavior. I was trying to stop that behavior because I didn't want to walk in the consequences of all of that. So I wanted to stop that behavior. I wanted to stop that behavior. But it wasn't until I came to a point of surrender and it was like I had this encounter with God. I describe it in my book. I came to this point where it's like, I just can't do it. I can't do it. God, I can't do it. I can't quit. I just can't. It's just the way it is. I can't. And something happened in my heart when I got honest with God and admitted I couldn't do it. I couldn't be in control of my life anymore. And I surrendered and I said, God, I can't do it. But if you'll do it in me, I'll, I'll do this. I want this, but you're going to have to do it in me. And something happened, guys. It was like two or three days later after that encounter, I was sitting at the kitchen table at 10 o'clock in the morning looking at an old Milwaukee beer. I drink cheap beer. It's all I could afford. I was looking at that beer can at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I said, that's it. If not now, when? Am I just going to keep doing this for the rest of my life? Back and forth, back and forth. If not now, when? This has to be it. And I surrendered at that point. It wasn't a thing where I was going to quit drinking. I surrendered to God. And he did something in my heart. I can't describe it. The clouds didn't part. There weren't rainbows. No angels were singing or nothing. I just sitting there, I realized I couldn't do it anymore. It had to be it. And so he took that desire away. But you know what he didn't take away? He didn't take away that desire for when things didn't go my way to want them to go my way. He didn't take away that desire so that when I was stressed out and anxious that I wanted to run to something to make it better. That's why it took me so long to quit smoking cigarettes. When I was stressed out in that, I thought, I'll smoke a cigarette. I don't care. I'll smoke five packs of cigarettes. It's better than smoking weed or shooting dope. That part of my heart had to be cut away. My heart had to be circumcised, cut away. This is the crazy thing, you guys. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to investigate a little bit further before we go too much in depth about it. This is the thing that struck me when you read in Joshua. This is what God told Joshua. You know, this is during the Second Bronze Age. They had the ability for metallurgy, a little history lesson. They could make knives out of metal and sharpen them, make them razor sharp. Take care of that business of circumcision real easy. I mean, these were grown men. And it even says in there that they waited until they healed to move on because there was some healing had to be done. But this is what God told Joshua. He said, make for yourselves knives of flint. Flint is what cavemen and Indians would make arrowheads and knives out of. They were only sharp because they were like a saw. 
They were not like a razor, like sharp, like slice. They were like a saw. They would nap the flint. It was called flint napping when they would make these knives and they would break it and it would create very sharp teeth. And that's how they would cut their meat is to saw on it with these flint knives. Look, Google it, what a flint knife looks like later on, not now. And he tells him that twice. God told him to do that. And then he said, and so he made knives of flint. You know what that tells me? There has to be a specific reason why he didn't say, hey, listen, you better get some bronze knives and sharpen them up really sharp like razors so that you can take care of this easily. No, he said, make knives of flint because there is some pain involved in this. There is some pain involved in this cutting away of who we are. Sometimes there's some sawing to cut away who we are because we all hold on to those things in our lives. We all hold on to those things. Remember in the very beginning of last year, we talked about our coping skills and our coping mechanisms that we use to meet our needs or to numb the pain of having unmet needs. For some people it's drugs, other people it's sex, some people it's gambling, some people it's shopping, some people it's bungee jumping, whatever it is, those things we use to either, you know, manipulation and, you know, lying and stealing and cheating and all of these things that we do to try and meet our needs because we all have unmet needs apart from God. All these things we do to either meet our needs or to numb the pain of having unmet needs. And it's terrifying to let go of those. I know. What am I going to do? I also talk in my book, after I quit doing drugs, we used to go to the lake every week. We had a boat. We had a big lake by, actually two big lakes by us. We lived in Texas. And we would go every weekend out on this boat. Actually, we went out drinking. I went out drinking, and the boat happened to be there. So after I quit, we went out. I had no idea how to have fun without drinking. No idea. And the thing was, is I didn't know I didn't know how to have fun. I thought I was partying because I was having fun partying. But you took away the party. I had no idea how to have fun. I didn't know how to interact with people. We went there with all of our neighbors that we usually hung out with. They were still drinking and smoking. And I had no idea how to interact, you know, because I'd been drinking and, and smoking and, and all kinds of stuff for so long. I had no idea. And so the thought of that was just so foreign to me. It took time to cut that away. And it was painful. And that's why in that song, when I talked about here I am again, that's what I was talking about, that thing of when I would do things, when I would be afraid of things, when Pam would say things to me in a certain tone of voice, and I would just automatically assume that she meant something different than what she did. I would automatically assume she was saying something mean to me. She was saying something bad to me. And so I would get very defensive and fly off the handle and react in ways I shouldn't react. My kids would do things and because I was afraid for them that fear would well up in me and instead of scooping up when my youngest daughter was six years old she was having a birthday party and I had told her she was running around she had a bunch of kids there and she was running around and they all had sticks and I said don't run with sticks don't be running with those sticks I was afraid they were going to poke themselves in the eye 
But she didn't listen and she kept running and she fell and that thing jammed up into her gum and like knocked that tooth crooked. And it freaked me out. And the thing was, is because I had no idea how to handle my emotions. I had no idea how to handle my, what was going on in me. Instead of scooping her up and saying, it's going to be okay. We're going to take care of it. You're going to be fine. I'm here. Daddy loves you. You're going to be fine. I ran over there. And I grabbed her shoulders and I said, I told you not to run with a stick. I told you if you'd have listened to me, this wouldn't have happened. That was the last thing she needed. The last thing she needed from me. And I saw the look in her eyes and I recognized that feeling because I had been on the other end of that when I was a little kid. Because I had learned that coping skill (laughs) or didn't learn the right way to handle my emotions. I have to say, I love my dad. My dad and I developed a great relationship before he passed away. But that's the way it was when I was a little kid. And so that was a big point for me to be able to say, I can't live like this anymore. I am not going to do to my children and have them have to go through what I went through. I'm not going to do it. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how hard this is. I don't care what has to happen. And I've said this many times in my life, God, I don't care what you have to do. Do whatever you have to do in my life. I do not want my kids having to go through this. And guess what? I mean, they're not perfect. They still have troubles like everybody else. But they're way farther ahead. Both of my kids married and have kids, and they're way farther ahead than Pam and I were at that age. It's amazing. I look at that, and I just, sometimes it just makes me want to cry. It's just like, oh, thank God. They're normal. Well, not normal but who is what it's a setting on the washing machine (laughs) no I don't know what normal is but they're just regular people they deal with the issues that regular people deal with not the issues that Pam and I dealt with like when are we going to get more drugs or how are we going to keep the electric on how are we not going to get kicked out of the house but we've come to this point we're tired of trying to stop doing the stuff we don't want to do We're tired of trying to be good people. We're just at the point where we just want to do what God wants and just surrender and just let go. Give him our mess. And just like in a lot of other recovery programs, we like to recognize milestones of recovery or points of decision. The first one says, welcome home. And that's really what it is. It's a homecoming back to God. Remember, we want to go back to the garden to the Garden of Eden. We want to live in the Garden of Eden, but it's really we want to go forward into the promised land, his kingdom. We want to leave the wilderness. We don't want to live in the wilderness, guys. Because even though God may be there, that's not the promise that God has for us. He wants us to thrive, not survive. But so this first chip, I like to say it represents today, is the first day of the rest of my life. In and of itself, it's just a piece of plastic. It's a touch point. I got my just for today key tag, my white key tag. When I started, I started in Narcotics Anonymous. It was a way of me holding on to it and say, I I can do this today. Today, I can do this. I would get so mad at Pam. I blamed everything on Pam. That's what we do as drug addicts, right? We blame everything on everybody else. And Pam was the closest one around. So, of course, I blamed everything on her. I would get so mad, and I would go to my sponsor. I had a sponsor, and I would go to him, and I would say, his name was Tim. I'd say, Tim, 
You wouldn't believe how mean Pam's being. You wouldn't believe. I wanted to get some cigarette money from Pam, and I went to her to get some money, and she told me she had already given me money for cigarettes. But I had spent it and smoked the cigarettes. And so I told her I needed more money. And she said, I, we can't. We need this money to pay our bills. But I needed cigarettes. Bob, this money's for the electric bill. We can't spend any more money. That made me so mad. I know it's stupid, right? Crazy. It's real. And I would be so mad. And I'd go to him and I'd say, Tim, she's being mean. He'd say, what happened? I'd tell him. And he'd say, you know she's right. It ain't fair. That's my money. Right? No, we were talking about today is the first day of the rest of our lives. And that's what this represents. It's a thing to hold on to for today. It's that thing that tells us that, yeah, I have today. And when I want to give up on today, I can call somebody. I can do something. I don't have to do this alone. I can pray. I can talk to God. I could call my sponsor and have them pray for me. I could call 50 people and have them all pray for me if I want. All you have to do to get this little blue chip is to come down here and tell everybody your name. It's like the simplest, most hardest thing that there is to do. Would anybody like to have a blue chip? Come get it. Thanks for listening. Please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts. To order your copy of My Real Life, go to the Take Action page at our website, reallifeministries-stl.com or go to Real Life Ministries STL on Facebook.